Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. So today we're kicking off a brand new series called Signs. And this se- in this series, we're going to be uh, in this series leading up to Easter, and we're taking a journey with John, who is one of Jesus' disciples, as he kind of shares some of the life and stories of Jesus. Now, before we dive into the story we're looking at, I, I need to set everything up today, this week, so we're going to spend a few minutes on this. And uh, first of all, I want us to understand uh, a couple of the most important words in our topic here, uh, uh, and they're important not only in, in our world, uh, but they're often misunderstood. They're misunderstood when it comes to religion and theology, and, and especially with Christianity. And that's the word faith and belief, or faith, or believe, or belief. Outside of theology and and, and religion, you and I all know what these words faith and believe or faith and belief mean. But somehow, someway, in the context of religion, in the context of theology, these words, they kind of get all messed up for some reason, even get hijacked. In the real world, you and I, we make decisions based on what we, we make decisions about what we're going to believe based on what? We base it on evidence, evidence that we see. And also, if we don't get to see something, if we don't have the evidence uh, ourselves to see, then we are going to base, decide what we believe based on our confidence in the person who is giving us that information. So, for example, when you were, you were taught when you were young uh, by your teacher that nine times nine equals 81. Now, I don't know how many, I don't think very many of us went home and, and we put a, a nine rows and nine columns of our little green army men to count up and verify that it was 81. Just curious, who grew up playing with army men? Right here, come on. So only, okay, there we go. Like, we just dated ourselves right there, right? Uh, you had a lot of wars that you played with those army men. But anyway, you didn't count them up. But instead, you had the confidence in the teacher, that when they said nine times nine equals 81, you trusted that, you believed it. But somehow, someway, when it comes to the world of religion, faith and belief are often divorced from that kind of reasoning. Unfortunately, a lot of us were probably just taught, well, you just have to believe. Well, you just have to take it by faith. You just have to have faith. But here's the thing. We don't really see that in the New Testament. We don't really see that in the teachings of Jesus. I heard this quote once, and it says this, the reason so many people are easily talked out of Christianity is because they were never talked into it in the first place. All too often, we're just told, well, you just have to believe. You just have to take it by faith. But here's the problem. And maybe this was your experience at one point or people you know. The problem with that, you just got to take it by faith, you just got to believe. Somebody came along, a person, a professor, an author, a podcaster, a debater, and they spoke in such a way that they talked you or somebody you know out of what they believe. And it's because no one ever took the time to teach you or talk you or someone you know into what you believe. So John is going to tell us I didn't follow Jesus because of faith. He'd caution us against that type of reasoning and thinking. He says, I got great news for you. It's better than you can possibly imagine. It's better than that. And so John, going back to his first part of his story, he left the family business. A lot of us know what the family business is, right? What was his family business? 
right? It was fishing, right? He, he, he was a fisherman. And he decided to leave the family business and follow Jesus, not because of faith. He left because of what he witnessed, because of what he saw. And later in his life, he's going to look back at everything that he saw and that he witnessed, and he's going to write some of it down. And what he writes down is what you and I have in our Bibles that we call, you know, the book of John or the gospel of John. And John isn't going, when you read through the book of John, he's not just going to tell us what happened. He's going to tell us why it happened. And he's going to tell us why he wants us to understand that it happened. And at the end of John's gospel, he writes his, you know, his thesis statement, his purpose statement. He says, here's the big idea. Here's the point. Here's why I wrote this. And in John chapter 20, verse 31, verse 30, John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. In other words, it wasn't in private. It wasn't in secret. A lot of people saw what I'm talking about, which are not recorded in this book. He's saying, man, there's so much more out there than what I'm writing about. But I want you to know a few specific things that John referred to. Jesus performed many other signs. Say the word signs. John refers to these as signs. And he says, the reason I have chosen these particular events, are you ready for this? Notice what he says. Here it is. I have chosen these, verse 31, but these, meaning these signs, are written that. Now the word that is a connector in Greek which means purpose or result. John says the reason the purpose for which I told you about these specific signs is not so that you'll just know, here's what Jesus did. You know, here's what he said. It's not, he said, it's not that. I, he says, I wrote all of this. These are written that you may believe. And this belief is, is, goes beyond just, hey, you got to believe, brother. Hey, you got to believe, sister. It goes beyond that. John is saying, I want you to take, I want you to join me I want to take you on a journey. And this journey I'm going to take you on is my experiences with Jesus. And I'm hoping that you'll experience Jesus also in such a way that you also will be convinced of who he claimed to be. John is going to build for us a reasoned case for why we should believe. Now, what does he want us to believe? John's super specific. He says, here's what I want you to believe. Notice what he says. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah or Savior or Christ, the Son of God. And for John, it goes beyond just believing. It's believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and there's a result of that believing. And that by believing, you may have what? You may have, you may have life in his name. In other words... There's a sequence here going on for John that brought him to the point where he believed that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, and it's the sequence that he lays out in his book. And it basically goes like this. He is, John is going to tell us that there are certain events, certain things that actually happen, and it turns out, John is saying, that those events were actually signs, and those signs pointed to something. Those signs pointed to something in such a way that it provided you and I evidence. Evidence. So because of that evidence, you and I with confidence, because of what I saw, because of what I heard, you and I have, can have confidence to decide to believe that Jesus 
is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when you start to believe that that's true, that you believe in that, then you get to that next place of where you place your trust in Jesus based on the signs, which was evidence so that you can believe, so that you could trust in Jesus. Here's why this is important for us. John doesn't start out saying, oh, you know what? I just, I just trusted Jesus and kind of hoped it worked out. That's not what it was for John. In fact, it was the exact opposite for John and, and really most of the disciples, if not all of the disciples. Because as you go through their, their stories, you discover, man, they would believe, but then they didn't believe, right? They kind of believe a little bit, but then they didn't believe. And so they were in this journey of belief and they were trying to sort it out themselves. They weren't easily convinced. But it was only in, as it began to grow and grow and grow, what they saw it was only in what they saw that they eventually placed their trust and faith in Jesus. John's saying, here's how it worked for me. Here was my story. This is my se- the sequence that played out for me. Events were signs that served as evidence of something that caused me to believe and then to eventually put my hope and faith and trust in. Events served as signs, or events were signs that served as evidence of something that I'll eventually believe. And as a result of that, I put my trust in it. And John says, I'm hoping by sharing this with you, this sequence that worked for me, I'm hoping, John's basically saying, that that's gonna convince you and I as well. So when John writes his gospel, he's not giving us random events. He's not giving us random conversations with Jesus there's so much, remember he said, there's so much I could have told you about that aren't even recorded in this book. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I'd invite you to, uh, over the next you know, few weeks leading up to Easter, that you would include reading the book of John as part of your devotional time. I'd invite you to do that. And as you do that, knowing with what we just talked about, um, that you would use that as a framework that what John's writing about and what he's saying, it's not random. This is purposeful and intentional, and he's going to show us these signs. You read John with a new lens like that, John will come alive to you. The the, the gospel of John will come alive in a fresh way, and, and Jesus will come alive to you in a fresh way. So I'd invite you, uh, read the book of John uh, with me and some others uh, during this time. John's just way more strategic than just giving you and I a bunch of stories of Jesus' life. What he does is he organizes his whole gospel around his entire account around what he called signs. Somebody say signs. Signs. The words, John was strategic. John could have chose two words. He could have chose the word signs or he could have chose the word miracles. John chose the word signs. The word signs means a distinguishing mark whereby something can now be known. You and I all tend to talk about the miracles of Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. It's all good. We can do that, continue to do that. But John says it's way more than that. It's way more than just a bunch of random miracles. Oh, he did this and he did this and he did this. John says they were signs that were pointing to something. And specifically, they were pointing to Jesus and his identity. John doesn't want any of us to get wrapped up in the, sign, in the miracles, in the miraculous. He wants us to focus on the person himself who those miracles or the miraculous points to. And of course, we know that's Jesus. That kind of lays the foundation for our series.
With that in mind, with the time we have left, let's dive into the first miracle with our remaining time. This first sign, uh, miracle sign, we've all probably heard of, just like John's original readers. They, they all knew this. By the time G, uh, John writes his gospel, the story we're looking at today was, was just, a, it was a part of Christian teaching, Christian preaching. So he didn't even go into any details about the, you know, the miracle, because that's not really John's point. He's thinking in terms of, what's the word? Not miracle, but what? Signs. He's thinking in terms of signs. So the first sign, the first miracle, if you will, is Jesus turning water to wine. But I want us to look at this with fresh eyes, with a fresh perspective that John says, this is a sign. And, and, and so this is here for a reason to point to something. The sign is there for a reason so that we can eventually have evidence so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and place our hope and faith and trust in him. So we're going to pick up today, John chapter 2. Uh, you can go in your physical Bibles, John chapter 2, or you can go onto the uh, Version Bible app if you have that and track with us there. John chapter 2, verse 1, it starts off and it says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So you have Jesus, you have his disciples, and you have his mom, and they're all been invited to this wedding. And, and so that means that there's a familiarity here going on right now in this story, that, that Jesus is somehow, or somebody in Jesus' circle is connected to the people who are getting married. Now in those days, wedding celebrations would actually last for days and days. And as a result, you can imagine, they got really expensive. But now we get to the catastrophe. Verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, this is a huge deal. I mean, it's a big deal even now, but especially back then in that type of culture, a hospitality culture, the last thing you ever wanted to do is run out of food or, or wine or drink or cake or punch or whatever it may be. That's embarrassing. It's humiliating, especially for the family and also for the caterer. So Mary, somehow, someway, she's in tune with what's happening. And now this, we don't know if this is because she, you know, she was close to the family and really dialed in. We don't know if you know, she was the caterer herself. We don't know if, if she was just super observant. We don't know if it's just because she was so caring. But Mary knows, hey, my son could do something about this. And so we get to the next verse. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 4, and Jesus is going to say something that, that sounds a little offensive. And he says, woman? And so when I got married to Heather, I figured I'd quote Jesus, and everything would be all good. And so I turned to Heather and said, woman? No, because I know that wouldn't go well. So guys, don't ever like use this verse, think, hey, I'm quoting Jesus. Actually, what's happening here, this is a formal setting at, the, at this wedding, and, and they're in a formal setting. So Jesus, he doesn't use the word, you know, mommy. Okay, he's not like, hey, mommy. No, 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 no. He's using a formal word. The, the word woman really is, it means more like, you know, my lady, my lady. So it's, it's a more formal word. And so Jesus, uh, he asked her this question. He says, woman, my lady, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Look, mom. I've come to save the world. I haven't come to save a wedding. And this just isn't really, you know, the way I want to launch my public ministry of who I am. This, you know, that's not very messianic. 
But Mary, she, you know, she just shrugs it off. Oh, come on, son. Come on, son. How do we know that? Well, look at the next verse. She turns to the servants and she says, hey, do whatever he tells you. Wink, wink. Right? Do whatever he says. Yeah, then she walks off. She has this assumption. Something's going to happen here. Now, I'm thinking to myself, as I read this story, uh, which, again, I know what's going to happen. You know, most of us know what's going to happen. His readers back then knew what was going to happen. I read it and think, what kind of sign is this? Because, again, I know the story. What's the significance? John, why would you start here? This is John chapter 2. It's the very beginning of his gospel. Why are you starting here with this story? What's the significance of water to wine? Because at some point, John must have realized, as he was looking back at all he had seen and heard, all the miracles, all that he had participated in, and he's putting together this gospel uh, to talk about signs that, that, that were evident, that would provide us with evidence so that we can believe. John looked back at it all and he thought, oh my goodness, this is actually a perfect way to introduce the Savior who is Jesus and what his role is. Even though the, 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 the guests at the wedding wouldn't know what happened, John would know that his future readers they would understand that, hey, this is actually a perfect introduction to the message and the ministry of Jesus. And so the story continues, and, and here's where it starts to make sense. John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the, by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jewish law required that Jewish people, when they were in certain settings, they were to, to ceremonially wash so they could be ceremonially clean. It was just a part of the Jewish culture. And so, of course, you have these large uh, uh, jars of water um, for, their, for their washings, for their ceremonies. That would, that's, that would be normal in that culture. But here's what's going to happen. Jesus is, in the story, he's going to go public with his ministry by using something that would soon be replaced in order to point to something that would soon be put in place. What is he going to replace? Well, God's covenant with the nation of Israel was just about to come to an end. It was just about to be wrapped up. And the Jews, excuse me, the jars represented really the entire sacrificial system, which represented the covenant that God had with the people of Israel. And so Jesus is going to decide in this moment, in this situation, uh, he's going to decide to do something that nobody's going to understand at the time, but it's hugely significant that God's arrangement with the Jewish people that he has had with them was about to transition. And something new, someone new, was now on the scene. John chapter 2, verse 7. So Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I love what commentator and theologian F.F. F. Bruce said about this. He said this, the water provided for purification as laid down by Jewish law and customs stands for the whole ancient order of Jewish ceremony which Christ was going to replace with something better. In other words, this whole story that John writes for us, this is a foreshadowing. There's so much more happening than the water to wine itself. There's this double meaning taking place here. This is actually a perfect introduction to the ministry of Jesus. 
So Jesus says, fill the empty water, you know, the empty jars full of water like you normally would. Verse 8. Then he told them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the banquet. Who's that? The master of the banquet is kind of like the head waiter. Okay, so this is kind of like the person who, you know, they know, he knows what's on tap, he knows how much there is, he knows who gets, you know, who gets what, when, the timing, and who gets how much. So he's the guy in charge. Verse 9, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. See, John just kind of blows through it, doesn't even talk about it. He, meaning the head waiter, did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then the, he, the head waiter, he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, 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 man, this is, this is interesting, this is crazy, I've never seen this. He says this, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. I've been doing this a long time, I know exactly how this works. <laughs> What's going on here? I don't understand, because he understood the normal is you get the best up top, and then, you know, anybody who, you know, when you drink, if you've drank and all that, you know, your, soul, your, your senses get dulled eventually, and it doesn't matter what you're having later, you start with the best. At the end of the day, no one cares, and then you can give the, you know, serve the junk. But you, but you, and this is so powerful, but you, you've saved the best till now? I don't understand. John's making a point for us. He's using water, he's using wine, and this man's response. And John is drawing our attention to what God has just done. God has, has taken this sacri- God has taken this and set up this sacrificial system with his people Israel, but that was there to set the stage for the new for something that would come, the best that was still yet to come through Jesus. What came before was simply a shadow of what was coming. Just as a original, original wine set the stage for the better wine that was to come later in the wedding feast in the same way, God, through his nation of Israel, his people, he established a covenant. And that covenant was important. But eventually, that would give way to a new covenant, a better covenant than the first one, and that rather than through a sacrificial system, it would be a new covenant through his, which we know, the sacrificial lamb, who would be Jesus. John realizes this, and he shares with us that Jesus brilliantly, at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, something new has come. Something better has come. There's nothing wrong with what was here before, but that was there for a reason and a purpose. And that would eventually give way to the new and to the better, to what's happening now. Hebrews chapter 10 describes it this way. The law, which the law refers to the old, what we call the Old Testament sacrificial system to what God gave the Jewish people. The law is only a what? Is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. John says, this isn't just a miracle that we're looking at. This is a sign, and it's all pointing to something. It's all pointing to somebody. No one knew it at the time. They would eventually understand, but they didn't know it at the time. Here's how the story wraps up. Verse 11, John chapter 2. What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the what? Was the first 
In other words, Jesus is just getting started. I'm just getting started, John says, and sharing the story and sharing the signs. What Jesus did in Galilee was the first of the, let's say it together, first of the, of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples, don't miss this part, and his disciples believed in him. So here's the question for you and I. Why did they believe in him? Why? Why did they believe him? Was it because Jesus said, hey, you just got to have faith, brother? Hey, you just got to have faith, sister. Is that the reason why? No. The reason they believed was because there was a reason to believe. From the very beginning of the story, again, this is John chapter 2. John chapter 1, he's just got given an introduction, okay? So this is the beginning of the story for John. This, this is the very beginning. Like he doesn't do, you know, he doesn't do genealogies. He doesn't do the birth of Jesus and all that. And this story that we're looking at is the beginning, the first sign. John's letting us know right from the beginning. I'm not asking anyone just to believe. Got to believe, brother. Got to believe, sister. I'm not asking you to believe without evidence, I'm not asking you to believe without being able to not only have the evidence, but to have the confidence in the one who is sharing the evidence, somebody who has been there, who has seen. So John is telling you and I, I'm kicking this off. Here's the first one. Hang with me. Stick with me. Read through this with me. Hang in there, and as you do that, as you oh, read what, what I write because of what I saw, I'm going to show you the evidence. I'm going to show you the signs so that you too can believe. Now, if you've been tracking with me, then what has crossed your mind is the same thing that has crossed my mind. And that is simply this. John, this is real easy for you to say because you were there. You saw it. Not me. I wasn't there. Listen. Sometimes people will come to faith in him because of what they saw. But for most of us, our coming to faith happens not by what we saw, but by what we heard. And what makes Christianity so unique and different from any other religion or belief system out there is we're not just asked to just believe and just take it by faith. We are invited to believe what happened based on the evidence, based on the testimony of those who were actually there. In fact, John came away from his experiences with Jesus convinced that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. He was convinced that God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. That if you'd believe in him, you wouldn't perish, you wouldn't die, but you'd have eternal life. How can John say such a thing? It's because of what he said in John chapter 1, verse 14. He said this, the word became flesh. The word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Meaning, uh, translation literally means he set up his tent among us. So he lived with us. He tabernacled, if you want to get into Old Testament language, he tabernacled with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's like, I was just a fisherman. I was a nobody. But when I saw what happened, I realized how important it was. And so I documented it. And I put some of it down so that you future generations could have the experience yourself yourself. 
so that you can know not just what happened. This isn't a history book. Not so that you can just know what happened. It's way bigger than that. I wrote these things. I write these things. I write about these signs. John chapter 20, verse 31, one more time. They're written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his his name. Here's my prayer for you. As we go through this series, as we move through signs and signs, that if you're a Jesus follower, that this is going to grow your faith. This is going to increase your faith so that you can't be reasoned out or convinced out of your faith because you've already been convinced in, having the confidence. Because make no mistake, Scripture is clear. In the last days, people, even believers, will be deceived on a massive scale. In the fall, we're going to be going through the book of Revelation. And we're going to look through it. And we're going to discover and see that deception that happens. I don't want us to be deceived. I don't want us to be convinced out of something because we were never convinced into something. And John says, I don't want that for you either. So I'm going to share with you. And I'm going to point to you and I'm going to show you events that served as signs to give you the evidence so that you can believe and trust him and have confidence in your faith. And that's my hope and prayer for you who are believers. And if you're not a Christ follower yet, hang with us so that you will grow in your belief so that you will place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, some of you may be ready to do that right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you grateful for John, the Apostle John, God, who went on this journey with you and eventually he came to the place where he recognized all the signs. They weren't just miracles. They were signs pointing to something. They were pointing to you, Jesus, that you are indeed the Messiah, the Savior, God's Son. So thank you for this, God. God, for those of us who know you, I just pray, God, you strengthen our faith that we grow to have more confidence than ever before. And God, some of us, we take it in simple faith and you've given us that grace. But God, you're also inviting us to a confident faith because of the evidence that you provide us. So God, grow our faith through this series. If you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I wanna give you an opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus. He'll come into your life, he'll be your Lord, he'll be your Savior. And you'll join the family of God So some of you might be ready today. You you believe the evidence. You've been coming here for a while. You've been listening to the word of God and you're ready to take that step. If that's you, will you pray with me? Say something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God, for all of the signs that you gave. God, I, I trust and have confidence in the testimony of the ones who shared those stories. And so God, I, I know you're real. God, I know you love me. I know you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And so right now, in faith, confident in the facts, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. And I'm going to choose to no longer live for myself, but to live for you. God, as I go through this series, help me to grow in my confidence and my faith in you.
Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name I pray. God, hear each and every one of these prayers as we've cried out and called out to you. May you be glorified in our lives, Lord, as we go through this series, as you strengthen our faith. We praise you. And we ask for this and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.